Hi, everyone, and welcome to Four Years of Faith, a podcast on Catholicism in college. I'm Kevin Jackson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mary Joy Kozak. We've got a special episode today and can't wait to get started. MJ, how are you today? I'm feeling great, you know, and a bit of a New York state of mind. What? I mean, we are in New York City, after all. What are you talking about? Kevin, don't you remember we drove up oh, here Oh, that's night? right. Mm-hmm. We are in New York. Oh, well, great to see you. And uh, as we said, we have a special episode, so we want to get right into it with our amazing guest for the day. Our topic today will be spirituality and religion. Without further ado, let's get started. Joining us in our conversation about spirituality and religion, we're now thrilled to welcome the one and only Father James Martin. Father Martin is a Jesuit priest, editor-at-large of America Magazine, and author of numerous books, including the New York Times bestsellers, Jesus, A Pilgrimage, and The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. We are so excited to have him with us here on our show today. Father Martin, welcome to Four Years of Faith. How are you today? I'm good, and welcome to our beautiful studio here at America Media. No, it's nice. We didn't have to set up our own equipment today, so thanks for having us here. You're welcome. Thanks for coming up. Go Hoyas. Go Hoyas. Hoya Saxa. Hoya Saxa, exactly. Well, it's so exciting to be with you here today. It's not every day that you get to chat with the author of one of your favorite books. Thanks. Well, it's great to have you guys here. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of Georgetown, so it's nice to have you up in America. Awesome. Well, Father Martin, we'd like to start off just to give our listeners a little bit of background about you. So could you just give us a brief overview of your background and what you do here at America? Sure. Gee, I was born in Philadelphia, a little town called Plymouth Meeting. Um, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, not Georgetown, not a Jesuit school. And uh, like you guys, um, I studied uh, finance, finance and accounting. I worked for GE um, uh, in New York City for a couple of years and then Stanford, Connecticut. And then after a while, I sort of uh, felt that it wasn't the right place for me. I felt like a square peg in a round hole. And then I stumbled upon the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, who I'm sure you know about. I hope most Georgetown people know about the Jesuits. <laughs> and entered in 1988, uh, did my formation, AKA uh, training, and went all over the place. Um, you know, my novitiate was in Boston. I studied philosophy in Loyola, Chicago. And I worked for two years with uh, refugees in East Africa in Nairobi. Uh, and then I came back and did my theology at, at Western Jesuit School of Theology. Uh, now part of Boston College, another Jesuit school that you may have heard of, a little further north. And then um, ordained in 99, and I've been working here at America Media. We, we used to be America Magazine for the last, oh boy, 20 years. Uh, I'm editor-at-large, which means that I, I, I mean, I basically do a lot of writing. I write books like the Jesuit Guide. And then uh, because I'm a Jesuit, uh, all the money and the royalties and the proceeds for those books goes to America Magazine. So that's, that's kind of my job here. Um, and I do a lot of social media stuff and media stuff. So it's great. I love being here. I've been here 20 years and hope I'm here for another 20, <laughs> God willing. Well, I know MJ and I enjoy following you on social media. So thanks for all the content you put out there. My pleasure. Thanks for following. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you guys are uh, you know paying attention. <laughs> I think in addition, as so many Georgetown students are huge fans. Thanks. Well, I, I really am a huge fan of Georgetown. I'm going on the board, too, in October. Mm. So, yeah, so things are going to change as soon as Congrats. I get on the board. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, turn, like, changing everything on the campus. <laughs> hey, only going to get better, I think. It's exactly. great as is, so we're excited to have you on the board. Thanks. Congrats again for Thanks. that. Thanks. So today we'd like to discuss the intersection of religion and spirituality, especially focusing on the relevance of these things for young people and especially the college students. So religion's a concept most Catholics are certainly familiar with, though spirituality may not be. Could you give a brief description of spirituality and how it differs from religion? Yeah, I would say spirituality is the way that someone relates to God, basically. 
Um, religion is, you, would, you might say, how someone relates to God in a group, right? So there's that famous thing, I'm spiritual but not religious, right? And I, you, you hear that a lot. I'm sure you hear that from people on campus, which means I have a personal relationship with God or I have some relationship with God or I have some spirituality, but I am uncomfortable with religion, you know? Um, and I think they're both necessary. Um, you, you, you obviously need um, a spirituality. You need some sort of understanding of your own relationship with God. That's super important, obviously. But I do think you also need religion because it ties you to other people. I mean, we're naturally social beings and we worship together and we do things together. And that's what religion is. Now, it can be more problematic um, because, you know, you're bumping up against other people. I think religion without spirituality is what Jesus was kind of coming to inveigh against. I mean, you know, basically just kind of rules and regulations. But then spirituality without religion is it's sometimes the danger is it's just you and God. And if it's just you and God, then there aren't too many people to kind of correct you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, you know, God's fine with this because I prayed and God told me. Um, so I think those are the, so, so spirituality, I think, is more personal. I mean, although obviously there's spirituality in religion. And religion, I think, is more communal. Mm, that's great. MJ and I were talking just last night and saying, going to Catholic schools for all of our life, we had never really heard the term spirituality before we got to Georgetown. And we had <laughs> That's kind of sad. This Ignatian spirituality mm. that we now understand well. But it's interesting that you could go through a Catholic education and not really grasp that. Yes, concept. it is. It yeah. does. It is. I won't ask you to name your high schools so you can call them out. Um, yeah, well, how has that, that influenced your own um, religious life and your own spiritual life, Ignatian spirituality, if I can interview you. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. for sure. Um, I think, yeah, exactly like Kevin said, before coming to Georgia, I actually went to public school, public mm -hmm. high school. So I... Me too, so nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, so I didn't, I didn't have a formal Catholic teaching beyond mm -hmm. religious education, which ended... I think middle end of middle school. And so getting to Georgetown was such a neat opportunity because all the resources are right there for you, but then also the depth of the Ignatian tradition, which I learned honestly pretty early on at Georgetown. They start teaching you about some of the Jesuit values, throwing out the terms, but it wasn't until I did some further exploration, meeting some people in Catholic ministry that I really started to learn more. And it's been honestly all the difference in my relationship with God and faith life in general. So I can't believe I went through so many years of being a practicing Catholic without having any sense of spirituality or really knowing what that is. Yeah, and it's not that uncommon, you know? I mean, people, they just don't get it. I mean, not they don't understand, but they literally don't get it. It's not it's not presented to them. And how, how else mm. would they know? How about yourself? Would you, you went similar, through Catholic high school? Similar experience. I would say that Catholic school, and I loved my high school. I think they did a great job kind of forming us, but I had the framework and the the kind of guidelines of what religion says and practices and ritual and, and all that stuff is great, but was missing the, what I felt like the relationship with God, which really brought all those rules and things to life. Mm -hmm. And once I discovered that, in this case, Ignatian spirituality, which it just kind of animated the rest of my religious experience. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. And also when you're a kid, it's hard to kind of, I mean, you can introduce kids in high school and junior high school to that kind of stuff. But it, I mean, it really is when you're in college that that stuff makes more sense, right? Like, who am I? Who am I called to be? Yeah, that's great. And we'll get more into this, sure. you know, in the rest of our conversation. Yeah. But I didn't mean that, to turn the table. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> that's good. But I mean, I think the one other thing that Kevin and I could probably um, say from our experience with Catholic ministry is that's almost ashamed in extent is some kids come to Georgetown not wanting to do anything with their religion and not even getting the experience Jesuit spirituality at all. And you're like, oh, you know what? I think you would love this. You haven't seen your faith maybe in this light. And I think, you know, I, there's so many people that I, I wish they would just learn more about it. But I think, you know, to the extent that they had religion, they really only learned the religion piece of it and 
we're kind of done with it for right now. Yeah, and it's not surprising. A lot of times it turns people off. But I, I think you're right. There are a lot of, I mean, I, I, I go to a lot of different Jesuit colleges and universities. And, you know, I generally meet the people who are really involved, the kids. Um, but, yeah, you, I know for a fact that you can go through four years of school at any Jesuit uh, college or university and have zero contact. You know, if you just don't choose to connect with campus ministry or with masses or retreats and, and you can leave without having a sense of, you know, as you were saying, you know, what, what the riches of Ignatian spirituality are, which is a huge loss, I think, for kids, you know, because you don't have to be Catholic to appreciate it. So, yeah, I, I lament that. I, my uh, my uh, nephew is currently a junior, rising senior at Fordham, and he, he's made a vow to me that he will go on a retreat. So I'm hoping that he fulfills that vow. <laughs> so let's uh, maybe back up just a little bit and return to what we were saying about religion without spirituality. So uh, you talk about this in your book, Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, and we were wondering if we could maybe just dive into some of the dangers of having religion without spirituality. You already referenced a couple, but uh, anything else that stands out to you as a real danger of that approach? Well, it becomes kind of a dead letter. It becomes mainly, in my experience, people who do that just end up following the rules, right? Um, you know, it's interesting. You see a little bit of this in terms of the push pushback to Pope Francis, you know, who's talking a lot about discernment and prayer and stuff. And when he tries to involve people in the idea that we need to reverence a person's individual conscience and their individual spirituality, people say, what are you talking about? You're throwing out all the rules. That That's a big danger, right? Um, and then I also think people, um, they tend to look towards someone else for their understanding of God, you know, which is important, obviously rather than their own experience. And so, you know, when you talk, a lot of Catholics have this sort of challenge. You say, you know, tell me about your relationship with God or Jesus. They freeze. We had a great article, um, and I think it was by, uh, I think it was John Hoy, um, who was at Georgetown um, for a while, uh, called Churchianity and Christianity, which is a great, I mean, I just, mm. just the title, I'm sure you can get it. You know, Catholics, you ask them about the church, they will go on forever. I mean, truly, like, oh, the Pope, this and that, and the sex abuse crisis, and the bishop, and vocations, and my parish, you know, which is all really important. Ask them about Jesus. <laughs> and they're silent, usually, because they haven't been encouraged to kind of develop that relationship with Jesus or with God, or you ask them about their prayer, and they're kind of tongue-tied. So I think that's kind of the danger, especially for Catholics. We get so focused on the church that we forget, you know, the church is in service to, to God, not the other way around. Yeah, and I think in a sense we almost lose what it's like to live like Jesus if we're just focusing on the church itself. Yeah, I mean, because Jesus has this intimate relationship with the Father. Um, he's praying. And if it's just right, if it's just I'm going to follow what the church says, you know, which is important in terms of rules and regulations and guidelines and ways of life, it, it just becomes, you know, it's like I always say to people, Jesus, Jesus, God becomes human. He doesn't become a book, right? I mean, you know, God could have just walked out of the, the Judean desert as a book with little legs and said, here I am, here are all the rules. No, Jesus comes to us as a person, you know, which is mysterious and, and, and demands kind of an encounter, you know, not just I'm going to follow the rules. And you see a lot, as I said, you see a lot of that in the pushback to Pope Francis. Um, so... It's a certain kind of, the Pharisees get a bad rap, I know that, um, but it's, a, it's, it's the kind of Phariseeism that Jesus was talking about in the Gospels. 
That makes sense. Well, conversely, we can move you know, too much in the opposite direction, which we mentioned mm-hmm. a little bit, um, which means focusing too much on spirituality. You know, especially now, we mentioned a large number of people claim to be spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm. I think a large area of people who say that maybe are in the young adult, sure. college age population. Why can this be problematic? Well, I always like to use the example. I was, <laughs> I was at a party a couple of years ago, maybe like 10 years ago. And this woman came up to me and said, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And it was a little bit of a challenge. And I said, okay, great, you know, uh, good for you. And uh, I said, well, what's that like? And she said, well, I have my own relationship with God and God is fine with whatever I do. And I just thought that, that is a problem. I didn't say this, but that's the problem. You know, Isaac Hecker, who is the founder of the Paulist um, Fathers, um, said that I love this, that religion helps us to connect and correct. So connect with one, I mean, you know, connect with one another, you know, in in a parish, which is, you know, can kind of be difficult and messy and time consuming, but correct. I mean, just because you close your eyes and think God is, you know, on your side, I mean, in general, God is on our side, but it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, right? And so it it helps you be corrected. Um, But I also think that there can be, not always, there can be a certain amount of selfishness and laziness and just kind of like, yeah, I don't feel like going to church and... It's a pain in the neck, and you know, a lot of people that I don't agree with, and you know, and and you know, there's a reason, as one theologian said, um, that all those experiences of the Holy Spirit happen in groups in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and Jesus called together a group. He called together twelve people and disciples. He doesn't have like a, a vice Jesus, you know, like an assistant Jesus with Peter, which he could have, right? He could have just had, because I think he knew that he needed support, right? He needed a group of friends and they needed one another, right? And so it's pretty clear what he's trying to do. He's building a, you know, ecclesia, a church. Mm-hmm. And so when we get rid of that, I think we lose that so much. We, we lose the personal connection. We, we lose the ability to be corrected. We also lose the tradition. I mean, just, just the, the, the tradition and the wisdom of the church over all these centuries. So yeah, I mean, the church is, you know, as we know now, you know, especially, can be a very difficult place to live in, but it would be like saying, I don't need a family. You know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, you're, you're, you're graduates now. You're going to graduate from Georgia. So what do you need your family for? Well, you know, you know, for all sorts of things. So those are some of the dangers of letting go of religion, I think. I think one thing that's really hard is you don't want to judge people who say they're spiritual but not religious. Sure. You don't want to say, well, oh, you definitely need to be mm-hmm. in the church. But at the same time, you want to help them sure. get that, as you say, that correct and connect aspect which I think that's a really difficult thing to do, especially MJ and I have found that among college-age kids. Yeah, and you know, there's good reasons not to want to be part of religion. I mean, the sex abuse crisis is reason number one to not want to be part of the Catholic Church, so that, that's understandable. But, you know, again, um, you're cutting yourself off from so much. Um, and, you know, you wonder, um, you know, when people are spiritual but not religious, truly how much, how much their spirituality can continue without that kind of uh, group support, you know, social support, because I, I find sometimes it, it tapers off for people. So they say, oh, I can pray on my own every Sunday for an hour. I don't need to go to Mass. Do you pray on your own every Sunday for an hour? Well, no, not really, you know. I go to Starbucks, I go to the gym, and so that... That's almost the same thing. It's <laughs> the same thing, that's right, yeah. <laughs> CrossFit. Um, so, yeah, so you're, you're removing yourself, I think, from something that can help you ultimately. I know from Kevin and our, my experience in Catholic ministry at Georgetown, you know, we both went to Mass during all of our time at Georgetown, but 
I mean, for me at least, the, the place that I found the most depth is when I started engaging in relationship with other students who were in other Catholic faith. And that's when we ended up doing a lot of programs with Catholic ministry. And then my faith as a result, just became deeper in my, you know, my relationship with God and everything in between. So I think they, they're not completely separate for sure. Yeah, and you also see how God is at work in the other person. So, you know, while you can have a very rich spiritual life, you know, really, when, when the two of you talk about your spiritual lives with one another, you can see how God is at work uh, in Kevin's spiritual life, and spiritual life, and you can see how God is at work in Mary Joy's spiritual life. And that sort of deepens your understanding of how the Holy Spirit is at work. And that, that kind of gives you a deeper appreciation for all the different personal ways that the Spirit can work, which I think is really beautiful. So that even just seeing how the Spirit is at work individually and uniquely and kind of tailors um, himself or herself or itself, however you want to look at the Spirit, uh, gives you a sense of, wow, the Spirit's amazing, right? And, and it's the same Spirit that's present to me, that was present to Jesus. So that, that's really kind of uplifting, which you can't do when you're just, you know, sitting in your room. It's definitely a cycle that kind of feeds itself. You nourish your spirituality, and then, as you said, you have that experience of community, which then kind of reinvigorates your own spiritual life. So it's, it, exactly. it builds itself up in that cycle. And one other comment, Kevin and I have talked about this before, but this idea of rules that we talked about, it's interesting because if you view it just as a set of rules that got to get this done, got to do this, got to do this, I can see why people don't like it. But if you learn actually more about the church and then you know again like Kevin said the cycle and you learn more about your relationship with God it doesn't become something that you just have to do it's something that you get to do and it's part of a greater tradition that can be so fulfilling yeah and it's Jesus kind of giving us a way out right of, of selfishness and sort of you know self-centeredness and greed and cruelty I mean it's funny a lot when a lot of people talk about the rules they say oh I don't want to you know you know, be burdened by all these stupid rules. And, you know, they're usually talking about, they're usually talking about like birth control and sexual rules. But, you know, Jesus's rules and his, his, you know, his way of life is about love and charity and helping the poor and freedom and, uh, you know, forgiveness and mercy. I mean, these are the, this is, these are the rules that he's talking about. And that way of life is very freeing for people, but they don't see it that way. They see the, the, and I think it's the fault of the church for having stressed so many particular rules over and against others, and I think Francis is correcting that, um, that they don't see Jesus's way of life, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, as leading to this joyful life, basically. I mean, he's, 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 there's a reason he's, you know, the liberator. I mean, he's kind of giving us a way out. And the disciples knew that. There's a reason that all the people were attracted to Jesus, and it wasn't because of his rules on sexual morality. It was because he was living this beautiful, merciful, loving, joyful life. That, that's his way, basically. Hmm. I think that really leads into our next question, Well, which is how can the church, and I mean the church in two senses. First, as the hierarchy, Pope Francis, uh, bishops, et cetera. And then secondly, the church as us, as the body of Christ. Very good theology right there, <laughs> yeah. Taking a class on Vatican II this Very semester. Very good, so, that's right, you know, people of God. <laughs> yeah. um, how can the church do a better job of promoting this intersection of spirituality and religion, keeping an emphasis on both? Good question. Um, the hierarchy can do it, I think, um, by, as Francis is trying to do, by focusing more on the person of Jesus, right? I think for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, the Catholic Church has been known, particularly in the United States, but mainly, and in, in the West more generally, as focused on a number of issues. Here they are. Abortion, same-sex marriage, birth control, women's ordination, church authority, and maybe fill in a few more, right? And, and to, to most people, that's the Catholic Church, right? 
I think what sounds Fran- great. Yeah, sounds, right. That's really yeah. fun. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm not challenging any of those teachings, but I'm saying that that is not the, the the totality of the message that Jesus came to proclaim. You know, which is that you know Christ is risen is basically the message of Christianity, and I think this is what Francis is trying to do. He's trying to move people, um, move the church more to encountering Jesus. So that is what the church hierarchy can do, which is to bring us into an encounter with Jesus. And I think move away from some of these culture warrior type uh, topics. And the people of God, um, I think, can encounter Jesus. <laughs> I think that's, that, that's a, I, I wrote a book called Jesus a Pilgrimage um, a couple years after um, the Jesuit guide. And I was amazed at the number of Catholics who said, I've never been invited to think about Jesus this way. I'm just sort of read scripture passages, you know, I hear the gospel readings and I'm preached at, you know, which is fine. It's very important. But the idea that I could sort of have a relationship with Jesus, that I could come to know Jesus as a human being and as fully divine was not something that was ever taught to me. I didn't know a lot of these stories. And so Catholics are, are, are I think, um, impoverished a little bit in terms of their own understanding of Jesus. And so um, I think this is one thing that the people of God, that the faithful can do is kind of come to understand Jesus more and more because if you don't understand Jesus, what's the point? I mean, you can follow the rules, but you don't have a, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you don't understand it, that what's, what's the point of being Catholic, you know? So, yeah. I think part of that too is the fact that, you know, we think why is it that people have heard all the rules, but maybe don't know God. And it's just simply, it's harder to teach like who God is rather <laughs> yeah. than, Hey, do this, do this, you know, where you can lay it out, memorize the rules where, you know, maybe this is a sign that this is, the way we should be shifting and how we, you know, think about Catholicism doesn't mean we need to forget the rules, of course, but just the way we approach it. I think that's right. And I think, you know, initially in the United States, we were an immigrant church and you had all these religious orders and, you know, I mean, the Jesuits and Sisters of Charity and, you know, on and on and on teaching a large, a largely immigrant church, you know, who might not have had a whole lot of education. And they were basically teaching them rules and regulations and things. So that sort of formed the church in a certain way. And then secondarily today, I mean, to your point, I have the same experience. You know, my um, uh, religious education stopped when I was like nine, right? Well, you, you can't really teach a nine-year-old about encountering the mystery of Jesus. And I mean, it, it's a little, so you teach the nine-year-old boy or girl, you know, like, don't lie, don't steal, don't do this, be nice. And it does come off as a series of rules. And what happens is like for people like you and me, you know, if you stop there, you end up having a nine-year-old understanding of religion. And I often say to people, I think I say this in the Jesuit guide, I mean, imagine going through life having a nine-year-old understanding of math. It was was ridiculous. Or like you write like you did when you were nine years old. You say, well, that's crazy. Well, we do the same thing with religion. And and then we expect people who have this nine-year-old or, you know, 12-year-old or 13-year-old understanding, which is not their fault, right? It wasn't my fault that I didn't continue on uh, in religious education to make these kind of sophisticated, nuanced, complex decisions about their lives, right? And to try to encounter Jesus, the mystery, right, with this nine-year-old understanding. So, so I think part of it was, yeah, I mean, I think it's just the way people have been um, educated or not educated. And again, it's not their fault. So, you know, to these questions about, you know, I understand when people say, I'm not interested in it. Because, you know, if you're, who would be interested in a nine-year-old sort of uh, religious world? No adult wants to be participating in that. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's not their fault, but that brings up kind of the next, 
idea that we're interested in is how can Catholics, you know, particularly college students, explore this spirituality in a way that complements religion? How can they learn more? They can read all my books, start <laughs> to finish, number one, number two, number three. Um, yeah, college students certainly, especially, I mean, we're talking to mostly Georgetown kids here. Okay. You have an amazing campus ministry down there. I mean, I know the people there. Campus ministry, the masses, uh, the retreat program. I mean, it's amazing. You are in a school, and I'm speaking to my fellow Hoyas. Um, you're in a school that is, I think, unparalleled, um, probably maybe in the world in terms of the resources that you have. So part of it is seeing as seeing it as part of your education, right? I mean, Georgetown is, I mean, also like Penn, the school I, I went to, is, you know, in large part very pre-professional, right? And so people are very oriented towards, you know, and they should be. Getting a good job, you have to pay for student loans, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, or pay for your parents. Um, but that's only part of your formation. You know, the Jesuit ideal of the core personalis, which I'm sure you've heard, which is care for the whole person. So not simply the intellectual and the physical, but the spiritual too. And and really, I think your point earlier was really well taken that people can leave a school like Georgetown or any other Jesuit college university and not have had that, um, you know, exposure to the spiritual life. And that is a huge loss. Like, it's, you're probably never going to get the opportunity to have that again. And I know uh, graduates of Jesuit colleges and universities who once they're finished with their school, like, well, now what? You know, and they, they don't find that often in their parishes and they long for this experience. So I would say, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's hard. I would say it's like lobster, right? I'm, I, I like lobster a lot. <laughs> if you've never had lobster, you're not going to, you're just like, well, what's the big deal? I can avoid lobster. I'm not going to spend $40 for like a lobster roll or whatever. No, it's so good. It's like, no, I can live without it. If you've never had it, you can live without it. And you probably don't know how good it is. But once you've had it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, spirituality is like lobster. <laughs> I've never quite made that analogy, but, and you should avail yourself of that, right? Have some, <laughs> I'm probably, if there are any people who don't like lobster out there, it's... Sub in your favorite food. Sub in your favorite food, right? Like Skittles or beer or something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so, so to take advantage of it, and it's, it, you, know, you know, it's very easy at Georgetown. I mean, Dahlgren is not that far from anywhere on campus. You go, all right, go to some of the masses and certainly go on some of the retreats at your beautiful retreat center too. Yeah, I know MJ and I have definitely enjoyed being a part of our campus ministry. As you said, with so many great individuals. And I think the individual connection that we've had with other students, with chaplains, that's what communicates that spirituality. Right. It's an experience. It's grounded in Ignatian spirituality, so how Ignatius experienced God. But then it's passed along through these other individuals right. who are having their own experience, and they have their own kind of little twist on Ignatian spirituality. So I think that's so important as right. well. Right, and, and they will enable you individually to encounter God. So I, part of the thing about Ignatian spirituality is that it meets people where they are. And so the way that Kevin meets God and Mary Joy meets God may be different, and they'll tailor it to you because God tailors himself or herself to you. I'd echo all that, especially Kevin's point about the personal connections, too. That's mm -hmm. the conversations that I've had in you know, Catholic ministry with just good friends is unlike other conversations I've had, you know, and you talked about, oh, education, people think it's just academics and book work. No, it's that idea of care of personalities, care for the whole person, their spirituality, in addition to, you know, the different things we're learning in class. But I mean, I can speak to some of the classes I've taken and the amount I've learned in some of my classes that I've taken maybe a couple years ago is so insignificant compared to how I've developed my spiritual life and even in just conversations I've had. Good point. Yes, because frankly, so I've been out of school for like, I don't know, 40 years now from Penn and I, you know, went to Wharton as an undergrad. 
you could quiz me about like my security analysis course or you know um, cost accounting. I would remember zero, right? But you'll remember the spirituality because I mean that's something you'll use every day, right? I'm an econ and theology major, and that's quite a combo. Pe people always say they come up to me and they're like, "Oh, what are you studying? Econ and theology? Oh, econ, that's really practical." And I'm thinking the opposite. <laughs> I'm thinking like I'm going to remember what I learned in my theology classes yes, you will. a lot longer than <laughs> supply and demand. You yes. Know? You will, yeah, and you know, it, it's a good combo because I think it, it prepares you for, you know, I mean, the real world, as they say, but the real world is also theology, right? And the real world is where God exists, so it's an interesting combo. Yes, I hope that I hope both of them inform one another. Yes, definitely, definitely. We talk about the fact that there's so many great resources here on campus for us, but this isn't the end. It's not like, hey, you missed your four years, you're done. <laughs> That's right. God will never be in touch with you, <laughs> right? It's the fact that, you know, like Father Martin said, there's great books, mm, maybe mm. by Father Martin. Kevin, have you read any books by him? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, no, but great books, and there's so many resources, and, you know, you can get plugged in in a parish beyond. So by all means, it's not like, you know, you missed your four years. But for our listeners who aren't graduating, definitely we would encourage you to take advantage of all the resources that Georgetown has. Good point. It's not like you've missed your shot and, you know, quote Hamilton. And, uh, but I mean, there's, there's parishes all over the place. There are retreat centers, exactly. But while you're there, it, it's in your backyard. Avail yourself of it. So, Father Martin, we always like to end with a fun question uh -oh. for our guests. So These are all, always the ones I get in trouble with. <laughs> <laughs> I think this one's pretty tame. So, yeah. okay. uh, in your experience, what has been your favorite memory of Georgetown, either on Georgetown's campus or uh, with someone from Georgetown? Oh, that's a nice question. Um, Gosh, that's a lot. You know, I, I've been there um, pretty frequently uh, over the last uh, 30 years as a Jesuit. Ah, gee, you know, I love staying at the Jesuit community. That's a lot of fun. I had some real, I have some really good friends. Uh, Kevin O'Brien, who I'm sure you know. Rick Curry, who was there for a long time. Um, Leo O'Donovan, the former president. We know I, Leo's. Yeah, that's the Leo's, name right, of our I know. Dining hall. Yeah, named after him. Exactly. I would say, and I, of course, I just love the campus. I mean, it's so beautiful. I would say the, the, the memory that sticks in my mind was I went to a mass celebrated by Kevin O'Brien in the crypt mm. um, at what, 10 o'clock? 10 p.m. 10 p.m. on a what, Sunday night, he said, Saturday night? He says Wednesdays, I think. Wednesday. Yeah. And I just thought it was the most beautiful thing because, you know, I mean, to your point, I had never experienced anything like that at Penn because, you know, Penn's a great school and, um, you know, great. I had great friends there. But I didn't participate in that. I remember thinking, how amazing that this place, which was packed, you know, that day, is nourishing all these kids. And it's just a beautiful setting. So I think I'll, I'll remember that. Um, but I really, I have a very soft spot in my heart for Georgetown. Um, so, but that's my memory that I kind of come back to, in addition to all the Jesuits I know there. Well, we have a soft spot, of course, in our heart for Georgetown, especially the crypt. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Crips actually under construction this year. So uh -oh. I know they kicked us out for our senior year. Can oh, you believe it? That's so sad. What, what are they going to turn it into? Is it going to be renovated? Oh, they're or? just oh, renovating. They're just renovating. Oh, It'll okay. be even nicer. Like, so. They're not going to put like an acoustical ceiling on no. it out there. <laughs> no. <laughs> put up wood paneling. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, all the students who will be here next year will get to benefit that's from great. it. That's great. Yeah, cool. That's right. Well, Father Martin, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, we've had such a blast coming up here to New York and this amazing studio at America. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, my gosh. Truly incredible. Thank you so much. This is, like, honestly such a dream for my us. My pleasure. And listen, congratulations on graduation and on this great uh, run for your podcast. And in the words of Jesus, Hoya Saxa. <laughs> <laughs>
Well said. Well said. Thank you, Father Martin, and thank you for listening to Four Years of Faith, a podcast on Catholicism in college. I'm Kevin Jackson. And I'm Mary Joy Kozak. We'll see you next time.